Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santa, joined, as always, by the James Belushi to my Bill Goldberg. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm solving crimes with my partner, who's a dog. Uh, I think... (laughs) (laughs) And our very own Paul Giamatti. That's right. It's Eric Ronovic. Eric, how you doing? Oh, man, I was once a miserable character actor, and now I am a miserable character actor who does commercials. Yeah, um, if you can put together what all, what all three of those people I said have in common <laughs> already, you are really getting it. Okay, so the Seahawks last week played a football game. Uh, Did think, they, though? I think most of us would like to forget it at this point, uh, but it's our job to to not forget it. It's our job to to remember the Seahawks. Pour uh, one out pour for one the out Seahawks. For the Seahawks. Someone's got to write this into the annals of history. Okay. I just want to go over really quickly some common takes I see on Twitter that I don't agree with. Okay. Number one, if you said we should trade Russell Wilson, delete Get your out. Twitter account. Get out of here. I don't want to I don't want to hear it. You have nothing to say. If you're saying that we shouldn't let Russ cook anymore, if that's oh. the that's the saying that you're thinking. Also uh, get out. Get out. Uh you're <laughs> You're 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 out. You're not. You're done. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Put in um, Dilfer. The <laughs> <laughs> same people. Just, same people. Yeah, and then those people probably are like, "Oh well, Cam Newton and the Patriots won forty-five to zero, and he only threw for like a hundred yards. Cool, man. Great. I'm glad that you. Th- I'm glad that you think that a seat that a team should be throwing for a hundred yards a game. It proves that you have no idea what is going on." in the NFL anymore. Cause I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl last year, but maybe the, the best pass thrower on earth won. So <laughs> chill out. Um, okay. So the, the whole like trade Russ, fire Russ, get rid of Russ takes, uh, or just criticizing Russ in general. He did have a terrible game. We'll talk about that in a second, but those are bad takes. Okay. Yeah, stop. We have a top three, maybe top five quarterback in so the NFL. You don't get rid of that. Best quarterback ever to put on the uniform. Not no question. There's not been a better quarterback in a Seahawks uniform than Russell Wilson. Now, do we need better play from him? Yes, but all the all these hyperbolic takes, okay. they can just you, you can you can pack them all up, now, shine them up real nice, treat. turn them sideways. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! This is a family show. <laughs> then, then, uh, then, then the whole tweet, Twitter, Seahawks Twitter is very torn about Pete Carroll, and it's always this way. And I'm gonna say a little, I'm a little calm man, a little calm B on this one. But we're stuck with him, so we might as well just analyze him as he is, because they're not going to fire him. He's the he's the most successful coach in the team's history. Uh, his team makes the playoffs and has a winning record every year. That you don't just can a guy that that's like that. Uh, also, the, the ownership situation. Yeah, I think no. having Jody Allen, who is a more hands off owner, um, most likely means like she's trusting Pete and John to run the team. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm not saying that I like totally disagree with the take that Pete is wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> Rule 50. Uh, but <laughs> but I will talk about that later. The the Pete's Pete's not perfect, you know, but there are things that he does really well. And uh and and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. So just keep I hate how hyperbolic everything gets. That's like my main take though, is that like it doesn't have to be all the way in one direction or all the way in the other. You guys, the, the you got to live for the nuance. Live in the gray area. Come join. Not to me. mention, man, like name join. me the not flawed team in twenty twenty. Join me it's in a the flawed NFL. Join me in the gray area where th- everything is good and bad because that's what Seahawks football really is. Okay, everything is good 
and everything is bad. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. So, um, okay, uh, let's go and ahead. If and you want to be humble, put on some uh, put on some Dan McGuire tape. <laughs> Check out some Rick Meyer games some and then John Freeze games to me. Some John Freeze and get back to me about what it's like right. to watch bad Seahawks football. All right, so let's start with just like what what happened in the Giants game this week. So we watched the Giants play the Seahawks. The let's start with the offense, okay? The offense from the Giants game. Um, in my opinion, okay, let's start with Chad Wheeler. Oof, twenty snaps, and I would say they were very impactful. <laughs> they were harrowing. <laughs> they had a big impact on how the game was going. He made his he made his presence felt on the field very quickly. Um, if I had to describe his playing style, it would be uh, like speed bump. Um, the best part was like um, Schlereth trying to explain like, hey, when you get bowled over like that, you stick your arms and legs up and try to knock the guy over. And then, <laughs> and then, and then Wheeler didn't have his arms and legs up. And he goes, ah, I guess I'll talk to him about that technique. <laughs> uh, as, if that, as if that's a legitimate technique to like try to trip guys who are pancaking. That's you. how he did it. That's how he did it back in the day. Man, that's, uh, I got to respect Stank, and in respecting him, I mean hate him, because he's terrible at his job. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's been a rough go. Every time we have Schlereth, I'm like, oh, all right, here we go again. Yeah, and the worst part was, like, Jamarco was, like, a fully functioning right tackle, yeah, and then he got hurt. Yeah, he was, he was holding it down. I thought the offensive line was playing fine until, um, so the problem wasn't until Wheeler came in, and then it was a problem, but the problems had started before that. And not because of um, not because of anything except for Russ held the ball really long in this game. Okay, Russ held the ball an average of point. I think I I looked it up point three two seconds longer than normal in this game, and it it really had an impact. I feel like on the on the way this team played. Nathan, and, when you say longer than normal, I'm sorry to interject, but is that longer this season or longer in his career? Because longer than this, longer than this season. So this season, a lot. right now, Russell Wilson is third in the league, uh, holding on to the ball two point seven nine seconds time to throw. In- that includes this game, uh, week thirteen only three point two four seconds. Wow, uh, it's almost a half, almost yep. a half a second longer. And Kyler, Mur- just to give you an, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray is the median number uh, two point five four. So he's holding the ball, but he's holding it. Looking for one specific thing, Kevin. You noticed this on the tape. What did you notice? He's what's he looking for? Yeah, he's staring down DK Metcalf the entire time and waiting for DK's downfield long developing routes to open up, especially on third down. And so, like there, that play where he took the bad sack at the end of the game, where the announcers were like, "Well, everyone was downfield covered." Then it, you can find this on Twitter. So other people watch the all twenty-two for this play too. There was like three guys open on that play, and it it's like pretty you gotta, was open. You gotta you gotta like you know, look around and figure this out because right now this, this offense is dysfunctional and it starts at the top. Right. And I don't, and I'm not going to say fire Russell Wilson, but like he has to make better reads uh, on this defense and staring down DK Metcalf when he's being covered by the best player on the giants defense by a significant margin. Bradbury has been excellent, routinely excellent this season. And we talked about it before the game. There's only one receiver that the, the giants cover very well receiver one, right? They're sixth in, they're sixth in DVOA against number one receivers and terrible against everything else. And we didn't take advantage of that. We didn't challenge that at all. We just we just said, okay, we'll go right at your strength. And and I don't think good teams do that. Good coaching staffs and good teams don't 
go just say, okay, we're going to run our strength against your strength. They look for flaws and weaknesses in the other squad and they take advantage. And th- this team just did not do that in this game. Um, so with the beginning of the year, the offense was clicking. Everything was working. Now we're at week 13 and everything is terrible. What's changed? What's different now than was different that was, than was there at the beginning of the year? Eric, you want to start? Yeah, uh, I'm happy to start. I the beginning of the year, we had a whole thing with let Russ cook. This was a big national buzzword, buzz phrase. Uh, I think one of the main ingredients for letting Russ cook is having a balanced offense. We act like uh, when Russ was putting up all these numbers that Russell Wilson had just control of the offense completely. He threw it at will. Uh, part of that was a punishing running game. And with the injury to Chris Carson and then the the injury to the back of backup of Carlos Hyde, having that bruising running back that will get you the tough yards is not an option for this team. So adjustments had to be made. We now have Chris Carson back. I would say he is not 100%. He's taken quite a few breaks between his plays. Um, this is not a way to get an offense uh, that, you know, we, we basically had to change from the beginning of the year, and now we're kind of having to mix and match pieces to continue this offense or a hybrid of what we want to do, and I think as we'll get into it, uh, finding out our identity right now is a little tough because of it. Yeah, and to kind of back up what you were saying, um, at the beginning of the year, yards per play, we were well over seven yards per play on offense, so be it a pass or a run. And we're scoring, you know, 38, 35, 31. I think we can all agree, if you're scoring over 30 points in a game, that's a game that you expect to win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think something really big is, up until the bye, Russ was really efficient on his deep shots. Against Atlanta, he was, on, so on passes over 20 air yards, he was 2 for 2 for 75 yards and a touchdown. New England, 3 for 4 for 110 and 3 touchdowns. Dallas, three for six, 134, and two touchdowns. Miami, three for five, 111, and a touchdown. Now let's take a look at the losses. Week six against Arizona, two for seven, 81 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Uh, Against Buffalo, two for six, 96 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Against the Rams, who delight themselves in shutting down deep passing games, 0 for six, zero yards, and a pick. And then this week against the Giants, two for five, 52 yards and a touchdown. And I think that comes from like Russ is at his best when, you know, it's play action. It's the plays designed to open up that deep receiver. And he's allowed to kind of let the play develop and then make the right throw. Since week eight, when Russell Wilson threw four touchdowns against the San Francisco 49ers and we won 37 to 27, Russell Wilson has accounted for six or sorry, seven touchdowns and nine turnovers. Yep. It's not great. He's not taking care of the football. One of the thing, one of the hallmarks of when this team is really clicking is Russell Wilson takes care of the football. When we got off to our great start, even though Russ was cooking and scoring a lot, only three picks through that stretch. Then in Arizona, when he has his first loss, what happened? Three picks. We lose to Buffalo, two picks. We lose to the Rams. Two picks and two fumbles against Buffalo. Two picks and a fumble against the Rams. Last week against the Giants, a 
pick and a fumble against a team that came out with an excellent game plan. Let me let me compliment the Giants right here because the Giants came out and they said, hey, we're going to make this game short. This game is going to is not going to last very long. There's not going to be very many opportunities. Okay, and then and then we're going to make the game short and we're going to make it ugly. And then that forces the Seahawks to play efficient, good football. And what did we do? We did not do that. We did not play efficient, good football. 43 pass attempts, moving the ball really poorly and just fumble in an interception. I mean, it was just it's just rough. And and our inability to do that, to to make good choices there is just unbelievable. In addition to the fact that like we make so many bad choices on like fourth and fourth and should we go for it or not? Um, ben, ben Baldwin posted a chart yesterday. You should look it up. Um, uh, he posted a chart of expected win probability lost by kicking in, in go uh, in go for it situations. So, you know, like every NFL team screws this up to some degree, right? Because yeah. like most teams are, don't have the guts to go for it. Uh, they think that it's missing it so much worse. So, but where do you think the Seahawks rank? in terms of first to 32nd in in expected win probability lost by kicking in to go situations 30th 30th out of 32 eric uh you know i'll i'll be a little kinder i'll say 24th yeah we're 31st actually Yikes. uh only short of the I saints was too nice. only short of the saints so yeah it's just it's tough one personality flop too nice first is the buffalo bills you know so so uh, they they're the best at this and i think that that the way these two teams have kind of gone, where Buffalo seems to slightly exceed what you would expect for them, right? Their expected win loss of the season, uh, based on DVA, six and a half wins. They've got nine wins. You know, they're they're exceeding their expected win loss. The Seahawks are going the opposite direction. The 2020 Seahawks have an expected win loss that is almost exactly the same as their actual win loss record. So it's just. Can I t- back you a little on your point, too, about Russ? Yeah. Uh, Russ accounts for 18 of 23 potential lost footballs. He has 11 interceptions and seven fumbles. That's a lot. Now, quarterback is always going to be the primary person in this, but like that's significant. It's backloaded in the season. What's the hallmark of a Pete Carroll football team? Toxic differential. Toxic differential. Taking care of the football and not giving up explosive plays. And this team does not do that this year. Kevin, I know you looked up the explosive plays in the toxic differential this year. What what are we how are we doing on that? So if you look at the losses, so uh week six, week eight, week nine, week twelve. So in week six against Arizona, three turnovers. In week eight against Buffalo, four turnovers, three turnovers against the Rams, and two turnovers against the Giants combined in our wins we have four turnovers we turn the ball over as many times in our total wins as we did against buffalo like that's kind of one thing now the defense has been forcing turnovers at a pretty good clip at the beginning of the year which is one of the reasons why they're kind of able to stay into it and they've only uh the only games where they were not able to force a turnover were the buffalo game and uh the second arizona game so the defense, as far as forcing turnovers, has been holding its own pretty decently. Now, here's where the defense was struggling early in the year. So, early in the year, they gave up... Um, a lot of so, plays. Yeah, just to look at a couple. Uh, so, rushes over 10 yards. They gave up 4 to Miami, 7 to Minnesota, hmm. 4 to Arizona, and then they gave up 4 this last week. Deep passing plays. Uh, against Atlanta, Matt Ryan, three for six, 99 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, Cam Newton went four for four for 128 yards on passes over 20 yards. 
Uh, Dallas racked up 193 passing yards on just deep passes. Um, against Buffalo, uh, Josh Allen was four for seven for 105 yards and a touchdown. But now the last three weeks against Arizona in the re- in the rematch, uh, Kyler Murray was one for four for 25 yards, and that was that one weird throw to the tight end. Uh, mm-hmm. Against Philly, one for six for three for 33 yards, and that was that garbage hail mary. Mm-hmm. And then oh, the Giants yeah. were 0 for 1 for 0 yards. The big, so, plays, the big plays have dried up. I I mean, they had a big run in the last game. That yeah, that's a big run. But, 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 but yeah, we let's are not talk about the holds on that run. It's out of balance, though, because like the our while well, our defense is finally getting it together, our offensive big plays have just dried up completely. And if, if we're not going to have any big plays ourselves, then we need to take better care of the football. We can't be turning it over all the time like this. Yeah, this is more like a classic beat team at this point where the defense is stopping the big play, so the offense needs to be more conservative. Though I, I don't think that's the long run our path to success. Yeah. So okay, let's um let's go quickly to the defense and we'll uh the Seahawks defense was looked improved in this game. Other than of course we talked about the big the big uh pass. So that interception though. They, they looked pretty good. You know, they only gave up 13 receptions for 105 yards. 190 on the ground, but it came on a couple chunk plays that, as Kevin said, I feel like they had pretty good containment, of, but the refs kept the flag in the pocket. Uh, the de- the defense looks solid. Not spectacular, but good enough to uh, to win games. Jordan Brooks uh, had his best game by far. I really I really wish that we could have created more pressure in this game. I mean, I know there's a, they limited the amount of pressure we could get by only dropping back you know, to throw so many times. Well, how many dropbacks did they have? I uh, forgot to look it up. That's my bad. Uh, um, I got it. It's uh, 25, 25 dropbacks, and we had I 10 mean, pressures on 25 10 dropbacks. pressures on 25 bro- dropbacks is good. See, what they did is they made the game short. They lowered our opportunities, right, to, to make toxic plays. Uh, and th- this is a recipe that for the Giants, like, they probably knew that that was their only chance to win, right? Shorten the game. Hope that the Seahawks don't hit uh, – and if like, like, let's take that first drive, for example, that first drive hits and we score a touchdown, which, it, you know, seemed like it should have, uh, the, then we, the, this whole, the, you know, all of a sudden we're off to the races, right? And Colt McCoy has to become a thrower and this game looks completely different, but we never forced Colt McCoy to become a thrower. And so our defense just sits there and like, you know, gets plugged away at eventually. And eventually they do bust one run and that's really all they needed, right? It's just one big play. Well, it's basically sudden. the Philly game. We let a bad team hang around long enough to put pressure on us. Yeah, it's just you can't let you can't let bad teams hang around like this. You have to put. Can you lose? Can you lose the game in the in the um... in the fourth quarter? Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did lose the game. In the fourth yeah, quarter. and I, mean, I think you can lose it really anywhere to to be up five nothing. You know, Mariners on top of the Mets five nothing at the half. It just felt ridiculous, uh, especially when we should have fallen on that ball in the end zone. And you talked about we never made Colt McCoy take control of this game. Well, that's the Giants basically telling us their game plan. They enforced it on us. And that's, I think that's out coaching. Well, let's take a look at it. So the first drive, a lot of underneath passes until we got into the red zone and kind of taking what the defense gave us. And then Russ tried to force three straight throws, two with empty backfields, and we have to settle for a field goal. Uh, second drive, Hyde runs straight into the line. There's a pass to lock it. And then on the third and medium, uh, Yupati misses it. Uh, but Russ still had about three seconds. 
and but all the routes were kind of downfield, slow developing. So that was a bit of a problem. The third drive was going well. Uh, then uh, Hollister and Hyde blow the block on Peppers. Uh, Russ gets sacked and then throws incomplete over the middle on third and 18. So then the next drive, we have a run for second and three, a run for third and two, and then Russ fumbled the snap. So then we have the next drive. It's going well. Taking what the defense gives us, getting a couple good runs. Then Russ has that flailing throw to the sideline to hide that made it second and 16. Then he has an incomplete to lock it. It's third and 16. Nothing is open deep. Russ doesn't throw to the short crossing patterns. He waits and waits and waits until he basically gets sacked while throwing the ball to DJ Dallas. Four, four and four mm. out of 15 on third and fourth down in this game, by the way. Just terrible. Yeah. Just, just legit awful. And it was a lot of being put in some bad situations. And it was a lot of, I feel like Russ's third and fourth down decision making was poor. It yeah, was, true. it was, that was when he was clearly just not taking what the defense was giving him. Trying to, trying to score a touchdown on every play. Like, it's like, you got to just move the chains, get to first down. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. It was just such a hard game to watch. And this defense is like improving. And I wanted to, you, you'd love to see like the fruits of their labor you know, kind of come to, come to, come to fruition. And it's just, it's not the case. It's just, it was another really hard game for this team. And, uh, they did a good job, you know, like Jamal Adams using him as a blitzer sparingly, only seven pass rushes. They, uh, they really, I thought like mixed it up well. And, uh, you know, tons of 26 run stops, you know, they, they ran the ball a ton and we stuffed a ton of those runs. Yeah. And a lot of the run stops are coming from interior defense. Like Puna Ford had a couple, uh, Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner cleaned up quite a few. Jamal Adams was playing more of a box role and he had six run stops. Like the people who are making the run stops are the people that you want to see making run stops. Right. Just a, yeah. Uh, Snacks got one. Snacks is ready. I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like he's finally getting in shape. I'm ready for like snacks unleashed now. I think that he's he's kind of ready to be given a, a larger retinue of. You're snacks. ready for maximum snacks. Max snacks, yeah. I think that yeah. that's that's like a layer that we can kind of start to unleash now because he did seem real out of shape, and he said he didn't love football anymore. And you know, after watching Mac Patricia be a football coach, I don't blame him. That's yep. pretty bad. So, all right. So the defense. So we've talked a little bit about like what's changed from early in the season. We've slowed down the. The big play barrage. We've uh, been able. Oh, DJ to- Reed, respectable. Oh yeah, DJ Reed's good. So, what should this team's identity be then? Like, what? What? This team right now seems like it's floundering. That they have no real identity. Uh, Pete Carroll maybe got away from his favorite, like run it, pound the rock football from the beginning at the beginning of the year. Now it seems like he's he wants to go back to that. He talked a lot this week about rule of fifty. Which, like, yeah. let me just get on a pulpit a little bit here about this stupid thing that he does where he talks about how many run plays he wants to do and how he wants to get a certain number of plays. And um, what Pete Carroll doesn't understand, he looks at it and he says, okay, teams that run X plays win this many games and teams that run this many running plays win this game. What he doesn't understand, what is in his head is that those teams don't win because they're running. They run because they're winning. Okay, and teams that run a lot are usually ahead. And it's not it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that when you're ahead, you win more. Okay, and it doesn't matter how you get ahead. And the biggest problem with the game plan last week was that we didn't get ahead of the Giants and force them to become a team that they sh- they don't want to be. 
we got to let them control the game flow. We got to let them control the pace of the game. And instead of us setting the tempo and saying, hey, we're going to come out, we're going to throw, we're going to play up tempo, we're going to score 14 points with Russ in the first quarter, and then you're going to be on your back foot and have to throw 40 times with Colt McCoy. And that will be a disaster. Believe me, if the Colt Giants did that, it would have been an utter disaster. And instead, we come out and we play this we play this janky game plan. We can't get the ball moving. And now we're up 5-0, 5-0 at halftime. And it's like they're one big play away from being ahead of us, right? Not just, hey, they're one big play. Uh, uh, they're one big play from, being, from winning, not even getting they're back. They're one in. Wayne Gallman run. Yeah, Gross. and then here, here comes Wayne Gallman for 60, and he he's so Wayne Gallman's so slow he can't even break that run. There's nobody. He had nothing but grass in front of him, and he still got caught from behind because he's Wayne Gallman. Okay, like this is not Saquon Barkley out there torching us. It's Wayne Gallman. And and the thing is, is that when you're ahead, you can run. You can run a lot. When you're bad, like the Giants on offense, and your Colt McCoy is your quarterback, you run a lot to just try to make the game shorter. Teams it's just it's bewildering to me when Kirk Cousins is your quarterback and he chokes all the time you run a hey, lot hey but you know what the Vikings are winning lately and you know what they've been what, what Kirk Cousins has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league for the last five weeks yep. and that, those things are related to each other they stopped being like hey let's just hand it Dalvin Cook 40 times oh no wait maybe we should throw some even though Kirk Cousins isn't the best we gotta throw because throwing's how you win <laughs> Okay, throwing plays are just better than running plays. There's a lot of data that supports this. And so for me, it just drives me nuts that he's like, we got to get to 30 runs. We've got to get to 50 total plays. Chris Carson's finally healthy, so we're going to pound the rock. It's like this might, and the, the worst part is, is we're playing the Jets and we're probably going to win and it will reinforce all of these bad habits. And the fact that we've been so bad on fourth down the last couple of weeks is also going to reinforce some of Pete's worst habits where he punts from like the 39 and like does where he takes a delay of game penalty to move the ball back. So he's in better punting position. Yeah, It's, it's like uh, this stuff, this stuff is things that you should not do as an NFL head coach. Just go for it at that point. You're only giving up 19 yards. And if your defense is so good that you're willing to give the ball back anyway, like, why do you care? You know, like that you're going to get the ball back anyway. Like it, it's, it's bewildering to me that the way that he takes the ball out of the best player in his team's hands, or even if you want to just kick a field goal there off the foot of your best player, right? Cause Jason Myers, uh, has been routinely excellent this year, and yeah, he can boot it from fifty. He can he can hit a fifty yard field goal. Like if you're going to be a coward, at least you know try to put points on the board. But this team ha- feels like it has no identity right now. It feels like it doesn't know what it's doing. And if the identity is going to be you know run the ball, control the ball, uh, just make the game short, that's fine. It will be miserable, but the team will win more. Will look better on the field than they did last week. It it will make my heart hurt because. To be honest, the team from the beginning of the year with the defense, the way it's played the last couple of the weeks is the idealized version of Seahawks football that we've all been waiting for. Right. Yeah. But it's just it's just not going. It doesn't seem like that's the direction it's heading. It seems like Pete doesn't think that those two things can coexist. Mm -hmm. And that's what drives me nuts because they totally can. We saw with last year's Chiefs, you know, the 2018 Chiefs had a garbage defense. And then they come back in 2019 and their defense improves. And all of a sudden they have, you can have that dynamo offense with a defense that can get stops and you could just blow people out and it could be crazy, right? Your team can be insanely good. I think this defense is improving at that rate where this is not a terrible defense anymore. It's getting healthy. Carlos Dunlap is a huge addition. Just a guy that's, that fills that space and does his job. And this team identity physically and metaphorically huge. This team identity needs to to reflect the fact that Russ is a is a top tier quarterback, 
and this defense is getting better. It can be both of those things. It does not have to be one or the other. And that's, I think, what drives me so crazy. Well, is that... go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish your point. Well, nope, well Eric, so what does this that, team that rant, that rant was long. That rant was long. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll say, so I'll Eric, say... what's this team look like uh, in your ideal situation for the last, uh, well, let's say, what, we have four, seven games of the season? Seven, eight games? Do we have, how many games do we have left? Six? Seven or eight. Seven, seven or eight. I mean, ideally, I'll say this about Pete Carroll. You you mentioned something, Nathan, a minute ago, mid-rant, where you said that, uh, you know, taking the penalty so we can have a longer punt. If you notice, Pete Carroll is... Yeah, Kevin said that, but I, I was sorry. just whining about punting from like the 39. But I, yes, Kevin Kevin said, you got, yeah, and then he also takes the penalty, which makes it even worse. He takes the penalty, but we're also, we're also taking timeouts to get guys off the field, to get guys on the field. This is a sign of someone who's not ready, that someone can be a line coach, that could be a, your offensive coordinator, that could be messaging between coaches and, and players. Either way, some communication is breaking down, or Pete, who ultimately is responsible for all this, can't get his thoughts together in one place. So that goes back to our identity right now. We don't have that because I don't know what's going on, if he's second-guessing himself, if he's got you know, too many toys to play with. Uh, he's worried that he doesn't have enough. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's having to take over for Ken Norton and just covering for him. I don't know. But it's that sort of thing that drives me bonkers because, Kevin, you asked, what's the ideal situation going forward? What's everything Nathan said? It's everything I said at the beginning. If you want to enforce your will on someone, your will is to obviously get ahead and grind it out. With Russell Wilson, with the offense we had at the beginning of this year you had a nice balance that leaned toward quote letting russ cook throwing this ball now granted we have a few injuries our offensive line is banged up but at the same time russ is throwing holding on to the ball too long and i don't know why he's doing that it's a russ problem it's a pete problem it's a ken norton problem there's all these problems that are intersecting and it's causing us to melt down in almost every way we lost the giants and we mapped out last podcast and this podcast how easy it was, how easy it should have been to beat the Giants. So what's it look like going forward? <laughs> Russ, take what you can get. Run with Chris Carson when you can. Get up 10 nothing, and then just play football. Run it more. Have your toxic differential plays. That's how it is. As all of us have said, our defense is looking so much better, and it's not even fully healthy yet. Um, that's my speak. All right, Kevin, what, what do you think? What's this team's identity now? What we talked a little bit about, like what makes a generic Pete Carroll football team, what Pete thinks, what Eric thinks, what I think, what do you think, Kevin, what, what should they be doing? What, what do you want it to look like? I think it's going to be a little more bend, but don't break than Pete necessarily wants. And that's just a fact as your offense plays more up tempo, your defense gives up more points because there's more opportunities. So you're looking at defense is going to give up probably 21, maybe 24 20, points in a 20 game. Point, 20 points a game is fine if you can score 30, which so far this season, even with the eggs we've laid the last couple of weeks, we still are averaging 29 points a game. Exactly. And so I want a defense that's doing that that can get pressure when it's time to get pressure, which with Dunlap and some of the scheme changes they've been able to, and that's able to force turnovers, which that's something they've done consistently all year. They force multiple turnovers in six games this season. You know, and not coincidentally, all but one of those were wins. Uh, so 
I think that's the version of the defense, and that's a version of the defense we've now seen for a couple of weeks. Now, on offense, a couple of trends that have been bothering me. Number one, our first down passing percentage has decreased about 10% since the bye. We're throwing less on first down, and early throwing was doing us a lot of favors when Russ was taking what the defense gave. It was a lot of throws to running backs and tight ends on checkdowns or taking a shot if it was open. A lot of slants, too. Uh, And the one thing I noticed a lot last week watching the tape, so I went back and watched a game from the beginning of the year and then a game, or some uh, two games actually from the beginning of the year, and then I watched the last game again. And the route combinations we ran were so different. We were running a lot of slants, a lot of quick hitters, stuff like that. And then last week we were running a lot of hitches, a lot of posts, a lot of goes. And it's like, why would you change from what was working? You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it was like change just to change. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think what happened was it's like, they got spooked in the Rams game or something. Yes, the Rams that's, game, like, that's exactly it. The Rams uh, game totally spooked this team and like changed. They started changing the offense after that. Because the Rams can shut down just about any team's deep passing game. That's what they're designed to do. And so you have to be able to run the ball and you have to be able to take what's underneath against that team. And it seems like, whether it's shoddy, whether it's Pete, whether it's Russ, however you want to put it, the onus is on the offense to have multiple game plans that are capable of winning on a given week. The Seahawks need to run more. That's a fact. They had 54 dropbacks, but only 43 attempts last week. That means that you're looking at sacks or scrambles on 11 plays. You know, there are only 16 rushing attempts on design runs. That that was not good against that defense one thing is you can get creative with the run plays like i know that that we've had some some notable jet sweep fails lately but you can still run those jet sweep plays you can r- run rust keepers like i don't want them to just run off tackle with chris carson or run up the middle with chris carson that's not the kind of runs we're talking about we're talking about like they need to vary their offense but also use pre-snap motion and uh and creative uh, post-snap motion to try to get to try to get the defense off balance. Do you mean not yeah, being so run, predictable? Well, yeah. If they're going to run too high and they're going to keep guys out of the box, then pound them. And if they're going to put guys in the box and they're going to play you close to the line of scrimmage, then let DK go run for one. And you just keep them off balance. And we have the weapons to do both. We just don't seem to be able to put together a game plan that does both. Yeah, and there seems to be no reaction to what the defense given him. Another, another thing is, is like if Russ needs to keep sometimes. So um, a lot of defensive ends I've noticed are using a technique where the defensive end covers both Russ and the running back on the on the uh, designed run uh, quarterback read option play. And Russ needs to keep those and run around that guy, beat that yep. guy to the edge. He needs to to punish someone for doing that because until he does, until he makes someone pay for that, they're going to just keep running that technique against him and they're going to cackle the running back. And it, that play is going to be a negative gainer or a bad play every single time until Russ decides, I'm keeping this one and I'm going to beat that defensive end uh, to the corner, which he can do. He's fast. So I don't know why he doesn't do it, but he needs to do that to, to, to keep those defensive ends honest because then they'll keep they'll need to keep a linebacker in to cover him or they'll need to to change their technique and, allow and it changes more, the numbers, allow more room to. But they need to tilt the field like that. And it, they're just not doing it. They're just not tilting it. It's it's very this isn't a very frustrating team to watch. I'm not going to lie. That's because yeah, the so much they both the, of the team together. Yeah, I still because I just like. I know what the offense can look like when it's really humming from early in the year, and I want that back so bad. And I know, especially I, now that the defense is good. 
Yeah, don't I just think that they got spooked by the the Rams game and they thought, oh well, really good defense came in and kind of shut us down. We need to really go back to the drawing board and, and change some stuff. And then they 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 come back and yeah, it worked against the Cardinals and the Eagles. So they probably got positive reinforcement that what they're doing is working, but it's just, this is the wrong path to walk, I think. Yeah, to give to give another clue. So I talked about the decline in uh, big pass plays. So at the same time, you also have a decline in uh, overall yards per play. So early on in the season, the Seahawks were averaging, so like against Atlanta, 7.38 yards per play. Against New England, 7.62 yards per play. Against Miami, 7.63, 7.84 against uh, Arizona in the first Arizona game. Uh, 7.5 against Buffalo. The last three weeks, 6.1, 5.0, So about two yards per game, or two yards per play less. That's significant. Yeah. The, the offense is conservative, but then they're also not really picking their shots like what Russ usually does. Yeah, so right. it's kind of all the... Uh, all the variability downside of like a high octane offense without the volume yeah, the upside. Um, all right, let's um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit jet of jets football before we, uh, yeah, before we go to the old movie club. Game. I am so mad. They fired the perfect D coordinator for us to pick on. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, at least, uh, yeah, at least I, you know, want to Russ. I, I hate this because I think Pete's getting a lot of reinforcement that is going to push him back to like the 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 most infuriating Seahawks loss in history, which is that Cowboys loss. I think if yeah. that's that if that's where we're heading, we are in big, big, big trouble. Also, Leonard Williams killed us in this last game. Like, w- there's just one guy destroying us over and over, and it's like. And Quinn and Williams could be that this game. Can you can you please just like beat that guy? Like, don't let the one guy beat you seven times for pressures. Like, I don't know. We are so bad at in-game adjustments. And one thing is about Pete Carroll is like, before the game starts, they come up with their game plan, and they just like they must really love it because they don't deviate from it. <laughs> They, they stick with that game plan to the bitter effing end. It is like, that is our game plan. We are not going anywhere. And, and I think what it is, is I don't think we have, especially on defense, strong enough coordinators that Pete trusts to make the right adjustments. Yeah, it's it's just... Pete needs coordinators that are going to force him to do the right thing. You mean he needs and coordinators that are that right now. like... Not the guys he picks that are under him, but the guys that can actually make him better. I mean, that's that's the the joy of any team. There's someone around you that is better at something than you are. Yeah, and I think it goes back to Pete's whole, you know, after he got fired by the Patriots. He wanted to he, do it his way. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like this kind of all falls back into that where it's like he, he'd rather lose his way then win a different way it feels like sometimes i feel like that's that's the worst way of looking at or the worst way of thinking about pete's philosophy so but right now it's factual so our uh, our division odds dropped down obviously we were the favorites to win the division for the week now we have a 34.4 percent chance to win the division our total playoff odds dropped we actually have a chance to miss the playoffs now we went from 99.1 to 97.7 yeah, is that crazy uh, and our chances of having the number one seed went drastically down 
Uh, we are now only 1.6% to have the one seed. Both Green Bay and New Orleans basically own us in that now. Uh, it's trouble. It's it's bad. And uh, that loss hurt because Colt McCoy at home should be a free square, right? Yep. It should be a free square. It's the free square in the middle of the bingo card. And the Seahawks really did just blew it. And um, yeah. So, it's another free square weekend coming up. And you hope they don't just go back to back on that, right? Yeah, if they do. That's uh, I mean, that's daggers. <laughs> the chances of us missing the playoffs are pretty slim, but man, it's what a waste. What a waste of a season if that happens. As always. OK, let's talk about the Jets. As always, they have really good interior defenders. Quentin Williams, yep. John Franklin Myers are both really talented. And Henry Anderson is a great rotational tackle. Those three guys will be a handful on the inside. Quentin Williams has seven sacks this year. Uh, he's got 35 pressures and Franklin Myers has 39 pressures. Uh, we need the inside of our line to be fully healthy and really put in a good performance if we're going to be uh, basically every good player on their defense is uh, in that defense interior. Uh, Except Brian, probably Marcus May. Marcus May is pretty solid, but they really stretched him to the they they like really stretched him to the absolute limit. I feel like, um, and he also one thing about Marcus May is is that he has good games and bad games. So yep. like he'll be really good one week, uh, you know, kind of shut down in coverage in Buffalo, and then he'll get kind of exploited another week. And against Arizona, you know, they targeted him five times. He gave up seventy six yards. Like I would. I suspect that he won't be the reason that we, uh, if we lose this game, we lose. So the, I'm, I'm worried a little bit just because you can't not be worried after a game like that. But this sh- once again should be a free square. This should they be don't a- have the outside corners to contend with us. No. Uh, Brian Poole is, is like, okay. And then everyone else sucks. Yeah, I think is Brian Poole injured. He hasn't played since week nine. Yeah. And let me look if he's going to be back. If he's not, then they're really screwed. Yeah. Cause then it's, uh, Javelin Gidry, who mostly plays slot. Uh, yeah, he's Bryce Hall, who's a rookie. He has uh, shoulder and knee injuries and is not, they're just not going to bring him back. They said they're basically they're shutting him down for the year. Yeah, they're like, come back next year, try again. Yeah, so they're, they're cornerback. <laughs> basically, uh, they have uh, like a couple of Trey Flowers level corners right now yeah. playing. It shouldn't be hard. It should be, it should, it should be an easy one. You know, run some quick hitters, get the offense humming. Let's let's see what let's see what Russ can cook up. I want to see Russ cook in this game. That's like my number one desire in my desire index. Yeah, if we have some second and third down runs, that's cool. But I want to see us throw the ball around the yard. All right, it okay. should be a good healthy game. All right, I'm just gonna go. Uh, Pete Carroll infuriates me. We run it 40, 40 times, and the Seahawks win twenty three <laughs> to twenty on a last second drive. Uh, we need we need a we need a, a miracle drive to beat the stupid Jets. There you go. That's I'm gonna be since last week burned me so hard on saying we're gonna blow out the Giants. I'm gonna try to go the opposite. I'm gonna try to do a reverse psychology thing here. All right, Eric, what do you got? That works. Um, <laughs> it sucks that you have to go reverse psychology against the Jets. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep the faith even though I don't have the faith. I just feel like this needs to be a get healthy game. I believe in this team. I believe in Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. It's it's a lot of doom and gloom, but this is a team that had so much promise at the beginning of the year. Like we really thought, hey, Super Bowl bound. Look at the way we're playing. So I'm gonna say thirty-four to ten Seahawks. All right. Uh I'm gonna go 
41-17 Seahawks. All right. Well, guess what, guys? There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to only12s.com and uh, give us a give us a some of your uh, hard earned dollar routines. I don't know how to say it, only but uh, thank, thank you to our la- thank you for thank you to our last four. Come on over to only12s.com and give us some of your hard earned things, and thank we'll you. give you twelves. Okay. Uh, thanks to our recent Patreons, uh, Charles, Joel, Santiago, and Dakota. And also, thank you guys to uh, to everyone who supports. I just want to say um, I want to spread some uh, some holiday cheer this year. It's been a rough week for Seahawks fans, and I want to make it better. <laughs> uh, so if you're not in the Discord yet, get in the Discord. There is going to be another round of Seahawks Nest mask giveaways starting on Let's go with let's go with that starts on Friday the 11th and it'll run till the 18th. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say the same thing I said last time. Uh, anywhere on Earth, I'll try to ship it, but don't make me regret that. But please do make me regret that because that'll be fun. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so last time I had to ship them to Seattle and Seattle to for the winners. So it was a little bit of like, a, all right, I don't have to regret this at all. That Much more gentle. I can't wait till I get one and then it's like ship it down to. Argentina and I'm like, oh no. How do I even get something there? And I gotta like Google it and stuff. That's what I want. That's that's the because you gotta hear about that in the money zone this week. So once again, thanks Charles, Jill, Santiago, and Dakota, our new patrons, and to all the patrons, new and old, Lucas, Greta, Timothy, Brian, Cooper, James, Brett, Carrie, Tom, Michael, Brandon, Nick, Charles, Sebastian, Foles, EB, Emmanuel. Jay, Warwolf, Bob, Richard, Kieran, Mike, Phloctomus, Keith, and of course, Michelle. So speaking right. of spreading holiday cheer. So today we're going to do something. We're going to do something. We're going to do something a little different. Um, this is a, we're going to all say what's one beloved holiday movie. If given the opportunity, you would delete it from the holiday pantheon. Like this is a movie that people have to like. That's one of the, uh, that's one of the, the qualifiers. What is the movie that people have to actually like that you would just be like, I delete that from the holiday pantheon. It is gone forever. No one can watch it anymore. What is your, what's your deletion? All right. Um, do you want me to go first? Do you guys want to go first? Uh, I think you had such a, such a okay. big, right, big part in this, Nathan. You should go first. Okay, yeah, fine. Take it. My, my deletion is for love. Actually, <laughs> love actually is a movie uh like one of those movies like uh you know new year's day or whatever where there's like 14 different storylines that are all loosely connected to each other um every person in this movie is a trash human uh except for the little kid who's learning to play drums and his dad everyone else sucks. Everyone garbage garbage human uh, it's just like everyone else in this movie basically sucks um it's really unrealistic and the i think like there's so many individual moments too where like there's you just like are in disbelief at how how ridiculous it is like okay andrew lincoln goes to kira knightley's house and he's like i gotta win her love so i'm gonna bring uh, you know a boom box and some some uh some cue cards to tell her how much i love her what if her boyfriend answers the door what's your backup plan there homie because hoof that is um that's awkward a, okay the cover of this movie, like it, it, they didn't put the people that are related to each other, like next to each other. So like, you know, like you might think if you looked at the cover of this movie, like Liam Neeson's about to bang Hugh Grant, which would have been a better movie to be honest. <laughs> with you. Um, Bilbo Baggins True. is a, Bilbo Baggins is a porn star in this movie, which is pretty cool. Actually uh, props for that Bilbo. 
And um, yeah, Alan Rickman sucks uh, in this movie. Like he's just a huge jerk. Uh, everyone's a jerk. Everyone's a jerk. Um, so you know how in rom-coms, like things like, oh, I don't know, Stockholm Syndrome or uh, just generally stalking people or like nagging someone really hard or being an emotionally abusive partner are, are all like pickup lines. This movie's that. If someone likes this movie and then they tell it to you and you're skeptical of this movie, you honestly might think when you're watching this movie that it is like a parody of the movie that they told you to watch. Like that's how like ridiculous and like shallow and garbage this movie is. Like if someone said a really good Hugh Grant romantic comedy from the 90s and you watch this instead, you might be like, is this a parody of that? It makes sense. Okay, um, my favorite quote. Um, so, Love Actually fans and rational people cannot coexist once this film comes between them. This I know for a fact. So it's best all of us, if we never talk about this thing again, burn every copy, bury it deep beneath the ground and pretend none of this ever happened. Because you Love Actually fans out there, that's your only hope of being ever being accepted back into polite society. It's I, I don't know. I just don't think this is a... Sure, you can. It's a. There's so many talented actors. It's way too long, too. Well, by the way, it's like 130 minutes. It's painfully long. Uh, yeah, but it's got it's got Bill Nye in it, so you know that's pretty cool. I love Bill Nye. Um, all right, that's it. Get out of here. Okay, I'll go next. Yeah. Um, the beloved Christmas classic that is so well enjoyed that it's literally shown for 24 hours at a time. And that is 1983's A Christmas Story can get fired straight into the sun. Um, A Christmas Story. Did you know this movie's 94 minutes? Because it feels like it's a thousand minutes. This is the longest 94 minute movie in history. Sit down and watch it sometime. You probably remember it, right? This is one of those movies where people will sit and think about it and they'll be like, oh yeah, you're going to shoot your eye out and getting kicked down the slide and the soap in the mouth and when he beats up the bully. And there's all these scenes that you remember. And when you remember those scenes, you're like, oh yeah, I like this movie. Sit down and watch it. It is like those scenes still exist. There's nothing between them that ties any of them together in any way that's satisfying. It is boring. It is a boring movie that is not particularly well put together. It leans a thousand percent on a narrator, an omniscient narrator. And it's like, and honestly, Ralphie's a trash kid. Like, I want to go with another holiday theme. Crappy people having good things happen to them. Why is that a theme? Um... Yeah, I mean, just read the book. It's better. Um, but but the did you know this movie's in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant? That's I nice. I didn't know that, actually. It's in the Library of Congress, dude. It's yeah, so is, uh, um, <laughs> so, so is uh, uh, Birth of a Nation. Like, what, what's your point? Is it, is it really? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> oh, all right. um, that's, that's, culturally, that's culturally significant. So Kevin says, from the director of Porky's, I don't like your Christmas movie. Porky's is so bad too. Oh, okay. Yes, 
It's don't, the same don't, get me started. don't even get me started on that movie. <laughs> I hate Porky so much. Speaking, speaking, <laughs> speaking of trash people, a Christmas, yeah. a Christmas, a Christmas story. I'm like low neutral on. Like, if someone told me they love this movie, I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, like I would with Love Actually, where I like literally people love that movie and I don't get it. Like a Christmas story, I'm like, okay, I get it. It's just like saccharine garbage. You, you, you like you like garbage, but that's okay. Bob Clark's good movie, Black Christmas. The end. Yeah, the first. Yeah, the, the original. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Yeah. Now I'm looking at the list of National Film Registry movies, and it's man, there's some bangers on here. <laughs> Clark, Clark's is on. Clark's is on here, dude. Oh boy. Purple Rain is in here. Purple Rain should be in there. Purple Rain is awesome. I we got to do like a whole one hour podcast. <laughs> All right. right. Coming in, Go ahead. Coming in January. Uh, for me, it is the Jim Carrey Grinch. Uh, I appreciate Kevin throwing out like five movies he didn't he didn't like that he wanted to do, and he kept saying, "No, I'm going to do this one. No, I'm going to do this one." And I was like, "Yeah, you know what?" That's the one I really hate the most. It's Jim Carrey's The Grinch. Because why take a beloved book and a beloved children's animated special and expound on it when the book and the special clearly state, uh, you know, the Grinch hated Christmas and no one knows why. And they even say that at the beginning of this movie. And, uh, you know, with the narrator, uh, is it Michael Caine? No, it only take 104 minutes to say why. 104 minutes. Here's the thing. This movie. Anthony, is... Anthony Hopkins is the narrator. Okay. Well, I, I knew it was an old British guy. Uh, it makes sense. Either way, <laughs> it is completely worthless to have that in there. If you're going to explain, uh, frankly, just a boring story. It villainizes the who's uh, Jim Carrey may be perfect for the Grinch, but it's not a good movie. I don't even like the scenes. They change scenes from the original story. Um, Dr. Zeus was very, uh, it was kind of like uh, Howard Schultz. He didn't want certain things to be out there. He didn't want anything adapted. But when he died, it was all fair game. Uh, they're just like, yeah, make whatever of whatever. It's going to be great. And I think it's widely trash. But yeah, this movie, it's, uh, I, I haven't ever really watched it all the way through because I can't make it. I think it's just awful. Uh, I um, makes me I do sad. Think the, I do think the estate uh, really tried to protect the the IP here though. Like they went through a lot of pains. They said, like we get to help pick the director, we get to pick the lead actor. Like they tried, and Jim Carrey is the a right the right actor for this. What they did, yep. uh, Ron Howard is True. a good director. And what I think sucks is that about this movie is that I don't think it's outright bad. Maybe like like you do, but I do think it's much worse than the cartoon and the book. And it's and when you're remaking something like. I think like 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's what it has. I think that's correct. <laughs> like it's, it's, eh. Yeah, I, and, I, that was my problem is I give it like a two or a two and a half, which is why I ended up not doing it. Yeah, like, and, but like, I, I agree if, if we just deleted it from the Pantheon, it probably would be better because, because then we, uh, it's, it's a remake or sequel is completely unnecessary. And even like the 2018 cartoon Grinch is, is, uh, I feel like. Yeah, you said like, that wasn't so bad it's slightly better than, than that movie. Um, because at least they're, they're trying to do like, a, um, that movie had its own kind of like style to it. I don't know. I'd rather watch. It's not great either, but it, I think it's better than the, than that Grinch. That also, one I think Ron Howard was a poor choice because, uh, Ron Howard doesn't have a ma- an imagination. He was tragically born without an imagination. And as a result, all of his movies boring. are pretty vanilla. He makes everything. Ron Howard's superpower is that he can make anything boring. Well, he's uh, super safe. He's if you need to tone down an NC-17 movie, hire Ron Howard. You'll he'll make it PG 
easy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's what's your guys' favorite? If Ron, Ron Howard, if Ron Howard, Howard did, if Ron Howard did Ron Jeremy's bio, uh, biopic, <laughs> it would be rated PG. Uh, what do you, what's your guys' favorite Ron Howard movie? Uh, either Willow or Apollo thirteen. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Uh, you know Apollo thirteen is good. Solo, uh, a movie that I didn't really want was uh, enjoyable, and that was really I like. Good. I like Rush. I think Rush is a pretty good movie. Wait, is that the one with uh, Jason Patrick and? Uh... It's the Chris Hemsworth like race car movie. Oh, then never mind. Completely different movie. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely worth watching. Um, so if you haven't seen it before, um, if you watch it, if you're gonna watch a two hour Ron Howard movie and enjoy it, this is the only one that exists. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. How long's Apollo 13? Uh, yeah, that's, that's over definitely two hours. two hours. That's over. Two so hours. is Willow. Um, but don't watch A Beautiful Mind. And also don't watch the Da Vinci Code movies. By the second one, like Tom Hanks is just like about somewhere somewhere around like the first act of the second Da Vinci Code movie. Uh, Tom Hanks is the, the look on his face is like, I'm doing this as a favor for Ron and because I already signed the contract. Hey, Kevin, what about Gung Ho or Backdraft? Uh, what about and- what about Night Shift? Uh, Night Shift is actually one of the other movies, I would say. I was going to say, Night Shift is just fine. I'll put that as my third. Yeah, starring yeah. Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton and, Michael and Charlie Keaton. Long. Yeah, that's Night Shift. As yeah. pimps. Yeah, that, it's... um, dude, Awesome pimps. That, that I th- I'm pretty sure it's like, ever since two enterprising young men turned the city morgue into a swinging business, people have been dying to get in. Dying to get in. Yeah. Thanks, 1981. You guys like Ed TV with Matthew McConaughey, the movie no. that came out around the same time as uh, um, show. as the Truman Show, and everyone completely forgot about it because <laughs> the Truman Show just kind of executed it better. There's definitely a scene where Matthew McConaughey almost starts jerking it, and then catches the camera looking at him and goes, "Uh, uh, uh," because you know it's Matthew McConaughey, and Woody Harrelson plays like his big dumb brother. Yeah. That movie is terrible. That movie there's, is terrible. There, and there's so many good actors in that movie too, like McConaughey, Harrelson, uh, friggin' Dennis Hopper is in that uh-huh. movie. Uh, Rob Reiner, Martin Landau, Greg Sestero. Like, there's so many like people that shouldn't be in a movie. And Greg Sestero, by the way, it's co-star of The Room all time. One of my, uh, I, I like low key think that guy like tried so hard in that movie, and so I like him. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want him to succeed at every chance. You I know can who work. also is in that movie? Clint Howard. A truly Clint Howard's in a bunch of his movies. I think he's famous for appearing in movies that are directed by his dad. (laughs) It's his brother. It's his brother. brother, Sorry. Except Clint Howard. Also, uh, that's the other thing I don't like about the Grinch. Um, People with the last name Howard in the Grinch. We have Clint Howard. We have Rance Howard. We have, but his name's Rance Howard. That's, that's a real name folks. Um, Jeremy Howard, like that. That this was clearly an excuse just to get all those kids in a movie. Yeah. All right, for Eric, for Kevin, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks. <laughs>